0: As was mentioned previously, how delightful it is that we've each been granted the blessing this Lord's Day morning of assembling with the express purpose and desire to exalt and magnify the name of our Heavenly Father and to do all those things in worship that He has commanded and thus to do that in a way pleasing in His sight. As Brother Gary mentioned earlier, we're so thankful I'm sure each of us have been granted the health and opportunity to come and our mind rushes to so many, as we already noted in announcements, whose health is suffering, who are in fact having some rather dark days health-wise. In fact, as you noticed in that set of announcements, a few few individuals are in fact having additional surgeries this week, and some are having multiple very serious surgeries. We have been asked to go to God especially in prayer on on this day, and I would invite you for the next moment or two to pray along with me as we pray for the success of uh, Sister Linda Bryant's surgeries this week as well as for the thoughts of some of these others whose, whose circumstances are very serious. Would you please pray with me? Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before Thee this morning again so thankful for the blessings that we've each known from Thy bountiful and gracious hand. Thankful, Father, that things with us are well that have permitted us to assemble this morning. But we know, Father, that it's just as much as the Christian family, the church is in fact a family. Our mind does rush to those who today are hurting those who today are bearing great burdens in terms of their health, those who in their near future have very serious surgeries also planned. We especially, Father, at this time pray for Linda Bryan. We recognize that two surgeries for this week are scheduled, and we pray, Father, that I would guide the hands of the surgeons and the doctors, the nurses and the others, that these procedures will in fact be very blessed and very helpful for her health, and that she might, Father, enjoy the best possible scenario of success in these surgeries, and that she might soon enjoy a great improvement in the level of pain that she, that she currently suffers from, and also, Father, that her health might quickly improve thereafter the surgery. We pray, Father, that would bless her family, that they might be there for strength, and that they might, Father, have a positive spirit, a positive attitude. In all these things, Father, we do beseech Thee, though, to be with this entire situation. We know that thou art able to overrule in all matters, for indeed we pray according to thy will. At this time, Father, we're also mindful of others of our congregation who currently have serious procedures in mind. We pray for Anna Ruth Chaffin this day, Father. We know that intensive care, that she currently is not doing very well, and we pray they would be with that situation and family as well, that what's done will be successful and good for her recovery. We pray also for Stephanie Frizzell and the upcoming surgery again that she shall endure. We pray that it would be with that entire circumstance, the doctors, the caregivers, and always, that this might soon be able to help her in recovery very quickly to her much-wanted health again. We pray for Harold Dyer, for Dennis Peake, for others, Father of our number, who continue to undergo treatments and who have health issues and problems. We know, Father, that we must always trust and rely upon Thee, and we know that Thou art able to shoulder all that we place upon Thee. For that reason, we ask all these things in accordance to Thy will, knowing that Thou knowest far more how to bless than we even are able to ask. Father, we ask Thee to be with us as we study Thy Word this morning, and it's in Jesus' holy name we ask it all. Amen. As you see on the wall to my left, the title of the lesson that I've selected today is Reservations for Eternity. As we begin that, I'd like to at least again express a note of appreciation to Brother Trail as he delivered the lesson last Lord's Day morning, did such an excellent job, and as always, the men here seemingly are so talented, and perhaps we say it often, but we mean it every time, that we really are thankful to have each and every one who contributes in the way that he can. Some opening thoughts in terms of this lesson might be this. In Psalm 119 verses 103 and 104, the inspired writer said, Thy words are sweeter than honey to my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Therefore, I get understanding and I hate every false way. That which is false is revealed to us in the blessed pages of the Word of God, and therefore by rightly dividing and studying this, you and I can understand and know what is the proper course through this life, and appreciate, of course, that which will lead to the greatness of life hereafter. It is with that in mind I would invite you to think with me about reservations. I'm sure like myself and my family... There maybe have been occasions in your life when you've been called upon to make reservations somewhere. Maybe at a restaurant, perhaps at a hotel or motel or other place of stay. Maybe in terms of a concert that you attended in Nashville at the Grand Ole Opry or otherwise. As you made those reservations, there were some things involved in that process that I would like to use as the topic for the lesson this morning. But might I suggest that our interest is not reservations for a restaurant, reservations for some other place like that. Our reservations are far more serious. Reservations for eternity. It is with that in mind, as you come here to the close of that slide, I would invite you to think with me about what some things are like and what some things are different about making reservations for eternity. May we begin in the following way. First of all, isn't it amazing that when you have a desire to make reservations, for instance, at a sporting event or maybe at a hotel, one of the things that's most often the case is that there are a number of possibilities. After all, think of the number of restaurants in Nashville. If you were interested in taking your wife or husband or some other significant individual whom you loved to a place, you might have any number of choices. The same is true of hotels, isn't it? The number of hotels alone in Cookville is substantial, and yet think about how many would be in Chicago or New York City, or, yea, any number of other cities that you likely would think to mention. Immediately before us comes the reality that in terms of eternity, that state of affairs does not obtain. Although there are many choices for the places of hotels, eternity has but two. The Bible is so very clear, isn't it, in setting forth before us the reality that in terms of eternity, all individuals will inhabit one of two final destinations. Jesus often spoke about both of these. In that marvelous scene of Matthew chapter 25, in fact, the Lord laid it out in the following fashion. He began in verse 31 and very clearly taught, All nations will be gathered before Him, the great and final judge of all. And it was then that, did He not say, that there will be a division into those on the left and those on the right. Those on the right are described as sheep. Those on the left are described as goats. And the Lord proceeded to describe that these are the only two final and ultimate and eventual destinations. The human family lacks choices. All of us do by and large. In almost every realm of life, we lift high the banner of human choice. Think about the number of colors you can get for your car. Almost any color you want for a car, you can have it. The number of styles of the way in which you can build a house. The number of characteristics of the way you like your food prepared. The nature of the kind of clothes. Think about the number of colors. We all get the idea. But when it comes to eternity, my friend, there are only two choices. One of them is a choice of marvelous and powerful reality. Notice again I mentioned the one on the right. These on the right in that text of Matthew 25 are finally told, "...these are allowed to enter into the marvelous joys of God, the throne of God therein exists. It is a bright and blissful and glorious time for all eternity for these." How sweet it is to read Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Where there we have the following scenario. In chapter number 20, In fact, for the Christian should be a powerful and noteworthy victorious scene. The devil and all his henchmen are thrown into the lake burning with fire and brimstone. Once the debris settles, all that's left is the glorious goodness of the saved. I want to be amongst that number. And I know you do as well. And when you think about that number, they are ushered into a place where there's no crying, no pain, no sickness, no death, no curse. They're ushered into a place where the very light of God and His Son are there eternally. They're ushered into a place where there's no defilement, no sin, no error, no gossip, nothing like that. In chapter 22, as the curtain closes on the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, the closing and final chapter, We find this blessing pronounced. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. That's the city, the celestial city of which you and I long to be a part. However, we would be remiss not to mention that there is another destination. What about those on the left? just as happy and blessed and marvelous that those on the right are able to enjoy. Think about the terror, the anguish, and the awful character associated with those on the left. You'll notice this place is recognized by Jesus more than once. In this very context, the Lord described it like this. There is a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice, this is not reserved for the faithful, for the saints, for the godly. This is reserved for the devil and his angels. And we learn in the Revelation, though, that all those that choose to follow Him will have the same fate as He. This lake burning with fire and brimstone. This lake that's outcast from the blessed goodness and glorious presence of the God of heaven. This place more terrible and awful than perhaps human language can rightfully do it justice. It is in light of that, I would invite you to notice that in Revelation 20, that chapter I mentioned a moment ago, we have another portrait of this scene. You remember it well. In verses verses 9 and 10 of that chapter, we notice again the thousand years, the ascendancy of the church is ended and now the day of judgment has come. The devil is cast into the lake burning with fire and brimstone. And you'll notice it's an eternal flame. It's not that it'll burn for a thousand years or ten thousand years and be extinguished. It lasts forevermore. And all of those that choose to follow the devil are cast right there with Him. As you can see in verses like these, Jesus spoke about that in Mark the ninth chapter as well. In verses 43 to 48, the Lord, in fact, several times made recognition of the existence of this place. One of the things that you and I battle, at least in this modern age, is the so-called modern thinking of some that how could it be that a loving God would allow an eternal hell to exist? Surely the Bible is only figurative, they say, as it makes mention of, the, of a place like hell. Might all of us be quickly reminded we ought never believe such a heretical lie as that. Hell is real. Just as surely as heaven is, so too is this. And in Matthew 25, 46, the Lord described both of them with the same adjective. In Greek, it is the same one. It appears as everlasting with respect to one of them, eternal with respect to the other. It lasts forevermore. And it is a place that's described as one of outer darkness. The light of God is not there. The light of all the goodness of God isn't there. All the blessedness that comes with God's creative activity. Remember, on day one, God created light, and yet light is what is not in this place. It's dark, Matthew 25, verse 30. Furthermore, it's a place that's described as one of gnashing of teeth, one where there's pain and anguish, and one where there is unhappiness on every hand. Hell is that kind of place. The Lord rephrased it as a place where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. When you and I think about the terror and the anguish and the hurt that comes along with burning, that's the kind of analogy, that's the kind of description that Jesus used to embed in your thinking and mind a place like this. It is no wonder that many who in their wiser moments have asserted that the reality of hell should often rest upon the mind of every thinking person For the express reason, it ought to be a constant incentive and a constant motivation to do whatever is required, not to go to a place like that. That should remind us that when you and I are tempted to sin, and the devil, of course, will bring temptations our way, and yet when we ponder the reality of that, we in our finer moments should say, I know what it will mean if I engage in this. It will separate me from God and put my name on the roll destined for eternal hell. That ought to motivate us to think more wisely, to think more soberly and to not engage in those activities that God has condemned. As you think about these two destinations, you'll notice that does bring us to the, back to the reality of the lesson today. We mentioned earlier that the lesson is about making reservations. I wonder, what about you this morning and what about me? Have you made reservations for heaven or have you made reservations for hell? There's only one choice or the other. There is no more than those two. Some of these verses I have listed here remind us of the very text that Brother Matt read for us earlier. Revisit 1 Peter 1 beginning in verse 3 with me. It was on that occasion that we find this rather penetrating passage. Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who in His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. There's the word. This, my friend, is a reserved place. You nor I can go to heaven unless we've made reservations. There's no hope of showing up there at the last minute and being welcomed in. There's no hope other than having made prior arrangements with the keeper of this place. Reservations for eternity. As you'll see at the bottom of that slide, that word reserved as it's used in this ancient text, this 1 Peter 1, that word literally means to hold in view, to attend to very carefully. Doesn't that mean that with great diligence you and I should not only make reservations, but make sure that this reservation is kept up to date, if you please? You'll notice that the Bible has used this word reserved with respect to heaven. It seems to me incredibly interesting that a similar word is used with respect to hell. Same author, book of 2 Peter this time, 2 Peter 2 verse 9 as Peter gave the remarkable description about the reality of that day of judgment, you'll notice that he had this to say, 2 Peter 2 verse number 9, "...the Lord knoweth how to reserve, or rather how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished." There's the word reserve again. May I submit to you that all of us need to be real, very careful of the observation that there's reservations to be made for eternity. Every one of us this day are either making reservations for hell or reservations for heaven. It is with that in mind, let's look at some other characteristics of these reservations. What else does the Bible have to say about them? The next observation has to do with vacancy. I'm sure that like my family and I, there have been occasions when perhaps you had an interest to go to a restaurant, and yet when you tried to make reservations, the person said, all the tables are booked. Maybe you wish to go to a concert, and you quickly learned all the seats have been taken. Maybe you also, in terms of a hotel, maybe some particular event is taking place in the city, all the hotel rooms are taken. It seems to me one of the comforting things that a Christian can hold in clearest appreciation is this. When it comes to the matter of vacancy, though on earth we sometimes face the sign and the message that there is no vacancy, that will not happen spiritually. There is room in heaven for everyone who has made reservations. And by the same token, there is room in hell for everyone who has made reservations for that place. There should be no worry that there's no room in heaven. Some of the sweetest and loveliest of passages, in fact, bring that thought before us. I would invite you to think with me about John the 14th chapter. Perhaps this is the most famous as it touches this subject. You recall that the Lord at that particular moment was a mere hours before His crucifixion. No doubt His mind was heavy and those of His followers also no doubt appreciated things different about His behavior. And yet listen to the calmness with which He said, John 14, beginning in verse 1. The Lord rather amazingly said, in sweetness and in great love and power, about the nature of this final abode, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive ye unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The Lord did say, where I am, there you may be also. The Lord said, there are many mansions here. Literally, the rendering would indicate many rooms. If you and I have made reservations, we can rest assured those will be honored on the day of, on the day of judgment. The Lord won't change His mind. The Lord won't suddenly say, I'm sorry, there's no room anymore for you. But rather, we will hear Him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Matthew 25, verses 21 and 23. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. As you think about the nature of those reservations, you'll appreciate that that room for all is highlighted in a number of these verses. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But as long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The famous refrain of Second Peter three verse nine. Didn't Paul write in first Timothy two, verse four, that God would have all men to come into the truth, unto the knowledge of that which He has revealed. No wonder the example of your life and mine, the opportunity that's ours to help others learn what's involved in making reservations for heaven is such a special endeavor. That specialness is highlighted and seen in that great invitation issued by Jesus. "'Come unto me,' he said, "'all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. "'Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, "'for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. "'For my yoke is easy.'" and my burden is light. Reservations for heaven, amazing to think about the vacancy aspect. Maybe one final thought on that slide. Sometimes on occasion you and I appreciate that we can walk in. Maybe to get a haircut you just show up and the person is kind enough to do the duty of cutting your hair. There won't be any walk-ins when it comes to heaven or hell. Reservations must be made. Preparations have to be put in place. Deliberate, willful decision and action is involved in our concourse to to eternity. We live in an age and a time when so many, it seems, think that life is just a game. One meanders along from cradle to grave and just do what you like, when you like, the way you like, giving no thought to what happens after death. But it ought not be that way. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. John 10, verse 10. And the Lord thus gave us the instruction whereby we can live here soberly, righteously, and godly. Titus 2, verse 12. And in so doing, of course, to live with all the hopes of eternity and the blessedness that would come with a place in heaven. These reservations, though, perhaps lead us to another conclusion. Not only is the matter... A vacancy is something that's worthwhile of consideration. But so too is the issue associated with surprise. A few years ago, my family and I had a very unfortunate circumstance concerning reservations. We had made a reservation in a hotel, and of course one tries to do one's best, to find a place that's safe, a place that has the characteristics that you would desire. After we arrived there and saw this place, it was unacceptable. The linens were unacceptably dirty. The room looked completely unsafe, as if activities previously had occurred which not only were unacceptable, but maybe even illegal. Needless to say, we did not stay there that night. We drove and found another place in that same city you notice we were surprised, in that case, very shockingly and sadly surprised. As you think about reservations, sometimes on this earth we are surprised when we get there and find that it isn't at all like what we expected. What about in terms of eternity? All those I know assembled this morning in the sound of my voice are firmly intent on making reservations for heaven. That's partly why you've come today today. You know that this life is not merely a game and you know that there is something that's coming and namely it's a day of judgment. And your life and mine will be judged in accordance to the teaching of this book. Therefore you seek to learn God, to know Him and to abide by His will and His law. But when it comes to this matter of surprise, did you notice in 1 Peter 1 verse 4, it said to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, And that fadeth not away. Look at those three adjectives with me. The first thing you and I might say about this lovely place called heaven is that it's incorruptible. That means it's impossible for it to be corrupted. It is not possible for it to be tarnished or marred or be less than that which is the marvelous character with which it has been described. You'll notice earlier we did state in Revelation 21 the rather glorious description of heaven. I mentioned some of the features that seem so appealing. No crying, no sorrow, no pain, no death. But look at some of the other matters in that chapter. It is described figuratively as having 12 foundations of the most precious stones. It has gates of pearl. The roadways are gold. There's a crystal pure river of crystal clear water that flows in it. When John gave us those descriptions, may we never forget that what the Lord said to John is this, John, what you see, write in a book. John was given this kind of a vision. It's the closest language he could come to helping you and me appreciate the incorruptible character of heaven. It is incorruptible. Isn't it strange that you and I are called on to make that distinction? Here on this earth, things corrupt. What once was shiny and new and pretty, give it a little while, it'll deteriorate. What once was pristine and noble, give it a little while, and the elements of time will tarnish it and rust it and mar it and rot it out. It's not so in heaven. One of the songs that we sometimes sing has in it the phrase, Though we've been there ten thousand years. There's a sense in which there's a part of that that you and I should rethink. There is no time there. It's eternal. There's no clocks. There's never an ending to this region. Heaven lasts forevermore. And when you think about it, all the while it's incorruptible. But not only that, it says it's undefiled. That word undefiled means it's not capable of being reproved in the sense of removed from the character of perfection. It's undefiled. Finally, it says it's reserved, or rather, it fadeth not away. That's one of the things about this earth. We appreciate it does fade. It's not so in heaven. Don't you want to be in a place like that? Don't you want to help others come to know about a place like that? Don't you and I wish to appreciate the blessedness that comes with being a child of God in terms of that reward? You'll notice again in terms of that language, it brings us to this text in 2 Thessalonians 1. In verses 7 through 9 of that chapter, the inspired writer said, as he spoke to this congregation in Thessalonica, you might keep in mind that one of the key things that was disturbing the church in Thessalonica was their lack of appreciation of the second coming of Jesus. They had misunderstandings about it. They had failures in terms of thinking that it was different than when the Lord said that it would be. They thought it was coming soon. You and I know that it was to them that He said. In terms of the trouble that they had, contrast it with this statement, verses 7, 8, and 9 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels... Taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. We again see two possibilities. There are these who are going to be punished with everlasting destruction, and there are also those who know the Lord. Do you know the Lord today? Have you made reservations for heaven? As the lesson proceeds to one final thought, I'm sure we can well imagine that there are two final conclusions. One has to be this. How does one make these reservations? You and I know that for a hotel we pick up the telephone or maybe we do it on the internet, but we simply make appropriate contact, reserve this particular room, and we understand the reservation to have been made. How do we make reservations for heaven? Once we've made those reservations, how are they secured? Let's use that to close our lesson this morning and in that way to lead to some methods of action for you and for me. Making reservations for heaven. First of all, as we think about making these reservations, it begins with our initial obedience to the gospel call of invitation. As you and I recognize that Throughout the New Testament, we find individuals who heard the Word of God. They were prompted in that by believing it. In Acts chapter 2 on that day of Pentecost, here were individuals who were pricked in their heart. They had heard what Peter had preached. They were pricked by the thought of what they had done, putting to death the very Son of God. And it was for that reason that they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were moved to know that something had to be done. We are covered over with the nature of sin. What do we do about it? Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. May I submit to you that initial obedience is what is required of you and me as well. It is in fact in that obedience when we put our name on the reservation for heaven. Have you done that? Have you, in fact, made it known to others, I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I have repented of my sins and I want to be baptized. Sometimes baptism in our world is looked upon as a rather unfavorable thing. It should be the happiest day of life to have your sins washed away, to know that you have contacted the cleansing blood of Christ and that in that process He has washed your sins away. You rise to walk out of that water in newness of life. Romans 6 verses 3 and 4. It's in doing that that you put your name on the reservation list for heaven. In fact, that reservation list for heaven in the Bible is given a very interesting name. It's called the book of life. Many times in the Old and New Testament, it's called by that interesting name. Think of it this way. When that day of judgment comes and the book of life is opened, will your name be in it? Will my name be in it? You see, it'll only be there if we've made reservations. Let's talk a little bit more about that book of life. In Exodus 32, even Moses referred to it. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul referred to it. In the Revelation, John referred to it. The book of life is a sweet reality. And all throughout the Bible, you and I are encouraged to ensure that our name is in it. We've learned a moment ago that it's, that name will be put there when we've obeyed the gospel initially. But you'll notice that that reservation must be maintained. Think of it this way. When you and I make a reservation for a hotel... In almost all instances, they will ask for a credit card number to reserve it, to ensure that it stays good. How do we ensure that our reservation for heaven stays good? It happens by faithful Christian living. When we're baptized, our name is placed in that book of life. But if we then live unfaithfully, if we live as an apostate, if we live apart from God, that name will be taken out of that book and added to the register for hell. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15:58, "...be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord." You and I then are called on to live faithfully day by day. And in so doing, that will maintain that reservation for heaven. As you can see near the bottom of that slide, that reservation for hell, though, was also a very seriously taught thing in the Bible. It basically works like this. If you or I have made no reservations for heaven, then by default, we have made reservations for hell. Today, don't be making that mistake. May all of us be wiser than that. And may we, if things aren't well with us at this moment, ensure we have reservations for heaven. As we draw this lesson today to its conclusion, the final thoughts are to be stated, and then the lesson will be yours. Every single one of us is such that our name is on one of these lists, either the book of life or this register roll for eternal hell. May we each think very carefully about that, and if our name is not on that honor roll for heaven, if it's not in that book of life, if it's not been placed there and upheld by faithful Christian living, then we need to make a decision today and do something about that at once. If you are not a faithful Christian today, maybe you've never become one, and if we could assist you in your initial obedience, what a fantastic day of joy it will be. You need to believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess His great name as the Son of God, and be baptized. That will place your name in the book of life. If you have attended to that at some point, But at this very instant, you know that things are not well. You have not lived faithfully. You have done any number of things that have brought reproach upon the name Christ and upon the church. Come back today to your first love. If you do that, God has promised through the Son that He will again put your name back in the book of life. We need to pray with you and for you about the nature of those sins of public character and beseech God's forgiveness of them. If we could be of help to you in either of these ways today, please, in urgency, won't you let us be of assistance to you and do that while together we stand and while we sing.